Today's scripture reading is from Colossians 1, verses 9 through 12. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. This is the living word of God for us today. Last week, as we began our study in the book of Colossians, we gave everyone a, a Colossian, in the ESV, a Colossians and Philemon book, we'll cover both books. And I know some of you weren't here. Um, uh, we do have some in the back. When you leave, I want to invite you to grab one. You're not going to miss out in that, you know, we're going to be in Colossians past Easter. We take our time. And our hope is that you'll feel this, you'll write in it. You'll see today, I'll follow along Rob's example of making some notes in here. And even you can draw, because I'm going to make a drawing today that you might want to draw in here. So, so take one. It, it, adults, children, take one, have one. If you didn't get one, get one in the back when you leave. If you lose the one you were given, you just type Amazon.com into your search box. You can order one. But we're going to provide one for everyone, and I mean that. So if you didn't get one, even if you're visiting and you're here today and you want to, you can watch online or you just want it, take it because you're here today, and I would invite you to grab one of those. This past Wednesday night, <laughs> we kicked off uh, our own fellowship group here Fellowship, our small group ministry is called Fellowship Groups, and so Lisa and I had our fellowship group together for the fall the first time, and I asked them a question. I said, how would you like to see God change you, change your heart in the coming year? <clears throat> now, what came out of them, we all wrote it down, different ones, was, was sobering, quite frankly, but in the best way. I want to become more obsessed with eternity to see how I die as important as how I live. I want to be more motivated from within to go after Christ each day. I want a greater understanding of how dependent I am upon God. I want to pray more for my kids and for others. I want to become more selfless. I want to experience the fullness of God at a more profound level. I want to grow in the easier times not just the difficult ones. I want to be more aware that heaven is just beyond the veil. I want to walk more by the Spirit and less in my flesh. I was grateful as we walk through these. You know, normally I'd ask my group, and I do this as well, a different question. It may be, you know, toward the end I'd say, hey, how can we pray for each other, okay? And, but when I ask it that way, how can we pray for each other? You know, not throwing my group under the bus at all, but I'm just saying the, the requests that come out of that question don't sound like that generally. You know, it's more circumstantial things are going on in, in their lives, and they'll say that. Um, I, want, I want to say this because this message is, it's on prayer, and it's on, about a specific prayer. I, I fear, that's maybe too strong, I, I'm concerned that, you know, the exhortation that we pray about everything, which we're, that's biblical, okay? I'm afraid that it, it can keep us, if this makes sense, from praying about the most important things. You see, it's fine to pray, and I mean this when I say this, I'm being silly a little bit, but you know, you can pray about your aunt's dog or cat or 
You can pray about even, you know, where should I go to school? You can, you know, it's appropriate to pray about specific needs and health needs. So I, I don't, I'm not diminishing that. I, I really am not. I'm saying pray about everything, okay? <clears throat> but I'm telling you, when we look at our New Testament and we look at how the Apostle Paul prayed, sometimes we're praying about everything, we miss the most important things. And so I want to kind of shift this and go, <clears throat> excuse me, let's make sure we're praying about the most important things. Because out of that, we will pray for everything. If you're not there, go in your Bibles, please, to Colossians chapter 1. We're in verses 1 through 9. Um, I know there's a lot going on in your world and in your life. And so what I want to assure you is, as we look at this prayer, <clears throat> excuse me, you may say, well, I, I have a specific need to pray for. Well, that's appropriate to pray for. But I'm going to tell you, <clears throat> if we learn to pray this prayer then we will be praying for those other things in a different way, in a different light. This specific prayer is one of the most biblical and <clears throat> profound prayers that you and I can pray as those who walk with Christ. This, this prayer is, I'll say it this way, it's the desire of God. So you know when you pray this prayer, God is yes, 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 yes when we pray this prayer. This prayer is God's desire for you. It is God's desire for your children. It is God's desire for your friends. <clears throat> it's God's desire for your coworkers. This is the prayer that can inform all the other prayers that we pray. But this prayer, I do believe, must be a priority prayer for us. Now, my goal this morning is to teach you the prayer. And uh, the way I'm going to do that is I'm going to draw it. I'm going to draw a diagram of the prayer because that, that helps me remember. It may help some of you. I'm going to give a little bit of an introduction of a, 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 just a quick context for where we are. Uh, and then we are going to, we're going to draw the prayer and then draw it in such a way I hope that you understand. Look, here's how this prayer can be, must be prayed by us. With that, Colossians chapter 1, we're in verses 9 through 12. Last week, Rob covered verses 1 through 8. Paul introduces himself as the author, along with Timothy. <clears throat> Paul is writing a letter. So you, you got to understand this, this. I didn't know this. I, I really didn't know this until I was in college that this book was like these were letters. But it's a letter. And so uh, there's, a, there's a group of Christians in Colossae. And uh, a man named Epaphras had started, he, other people came to Christ in this, in this town of Colossae, and this church was birthed. Paul never went there. Paul's never known these people. But Epaphras has come back to Paul, who we believe Paul led Epaphras to Christ, and he's come back to Paul. We think Paul was in Rome at this time, imprisoned, <clears throat> and he reports to Paul. Let me tell you what's going on in Colossae. And he, and he describes the things that are going on. So there's an introduction, there's a thanksgiving, and then he describes what's going on. And so the letter to the Colossian church is Paul's response. Everybody with me? And Rob walked us through that. Now, if this book is about anything, as much as every book in the New Testament is, it's about a man named Jesus. It's about Christ. 63 times in 95 verses, a direct reference to Jesus. He is the center of all things. Now, with that introduction, we're going to pick up <coughs> on this prayer that Paul prays in verses 9 
9 through 12. I'm going to start, uh, and I'm going to just take a little piece at a time, and then you're gonna, we're going to walk through six parts of a prayer. This is, just, again, just an introductory statement he makes, but I think it's significant. Look in your Bibles at chapter 1, verse 9. Paul writes to the Colossian Christians, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. I want to stop right there. His letter, he's at the very beginning of his letter, and he just starts off, you know, says, we've, I, we have not ceased to pray for you. Now, why I want to stop there is I want us to get in our mind's eye the, the context. The context is this. Epaphras comes to Paul and says, Paul, th- there's this work that God is doing back here in Colossae and these Christians. And, and then he describes it in verses three through eight, and it's like amazing I mean, it's fantastic. It's like, wow, the gospel is growing and you, we commend you. It's like, as church plants go, you know, he reports back and says, man, it's an A plus. And Paul's response is, we will not, have not, cannot cease praying for you. Now, why do I describe it like that? Because there's something instructive in that. If Epaphras had come to Paul as, you know, some letters like the, to the Corinthian church where there's ma- major problems. If Epaphras had come and said, man, it's falling apart. You know, this is going bad. We could we, we, we go and Paul says, we're going to pray for you. But don't miss that the news is good. And Paul says, we're going to pray for you. Okay, Lloyd, what's the point you're making? The point I'm making is it's instructive to us. You don't need bad news to pray. Why not pray at good news? Well, go, go a level below that. I want to suggest it's telling us there's never a time not to pray. There's never a time not to pray. Good news, bad news, middle news, whatever. Paul prays. There are two things that every piece of research tells us are the key marks if you're going to grow in your faith with Christ. Read your Bible and pray. It's just historically, it's been measured and monitored. And I'm telling you, for us as a community of faith, I mean this for us as fellowship, we want to be a church that prays. And that means, y'all, not just I pray, we pray. I mentioned earlier that there will be people up front after every service, and I say, if you want to be someone to pray with you, come, come forward. Now, I know you got to go against the current and all that, but come on up here and let us pray with you. See, our thinking is, well, I don't have anything bad going on right now, so I don't need to go pray. Well, how about come up here when it's all good? <laughs> you know, I mean that. Why not, come to, why not turn to someone, you know, and pray? Because, why? Because <clears throat> God instructs us to, because prayer is communion with God, because prayer is the air we breathe. Prayer is an ongoing conversation with God. Prayer is a, it's, the, it's probably the most tangible expression of our dependence upon God. I need you, God. It's awesome right now, and God, I pray it'd stay awesome, you know. But we, they prayed. That's all I want you to remember. May we as well. Not, when, not, not wait for bad news, but with every breath we take, may we be in conversation with God, dependent upon him. All right, there's six parts to this prayer, and I'm gonna teach you the, I'm gonna teach you the prayer, and I've got the board over here that I'm gonna write on, and some of you go, I can't see the board from where I'm sitting. Well, good news is, is it, you know, is this works, then you can see it on the screens as I, as I write up here. It'll go up on the screens. 
And I'm going to make a diagram, and my suggestion is maybe you might want to make this diagram in your own uh, little notes there that you can follow along. I'll read the passage in a moment, but I want to write this up here. The first thing Paul prays for is that they would be filled with knowledge of his will. Look in your notes or in your your booklet or your Bible itself. Look at verse 9. It says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Here comes number one, and I've marked it in the Bible. You know, you might mark a number one by this, underline it. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Be filled. It's a passive verb. And so this is not something you all, you can't, you can't be filled with the knowledge of God's will on your own. You can't, you can't study your way into it, quite frankly. This is what God does. God, God himself will fill you with the knowledge of his will. And you, we pray that for one another. Oh, I pray that... I pray that Lisa today would be filled, God, with the knowledge of your will. Notice he says, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. In all spiritual and all, and all, spirit, all spiritual wisdom and all spiritual understanding. It is a Holy Spirit work by which we understand the will of God. Don't think of the filling as in spatial. <clears throat> this is not like, you know, you're half filled with the knowledge of God. You need to get fully filled with the knowledge of God. It's not a spatial concept. It's like Ephesians 5.18. Understand what the will of God is. Be filled with the Spirit. You, don't, you need more of the Spirit. No, that's not what that's talking about. Be filled is be controlled by, be influenced by, be shaped in all your heart by the knowledge of God's will. Are you guys with me on that? So that's what the filled is. Now, what's God's will? Now, here's where I want to say this is uh, so interesting to me because I'm, I'm such a, I've always been such a worrier all my life. God, is this your will? Is this your will? Lord, I don't know what your will is. Should I do you know? Well, you know, it's, we do have questions about, you know, should I marry this person? Should you know, we break, uh, do I sell the house? Do we move? Should I take the job? Should I not take the job? What should I do? Where should God's will. This is not what he's talking about, okay? He's not talking about the, the minutia of the details of life. What he's talking about in knowledge of God's will is God's will. God's will as expressed from Genesis to Revelation. God's will and purposes and plan for all humanity and all creation. God's will that the Bible reveals to us. There is a God who created the heavens and the earth, who created humanity, who he created to be in relationship with himself. And humanity broke that relationship with sin. A God who sent his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins, who was buried and raised again. A God in whom... When people trust what Christ did, they are born again, their sins are forgiven, and they're clothed in his righteousness, and they now live a life helping to redeem others, to help others come to know God, and live their lives in such a way that the character of God and the glory of God's revealed in how they love one another, forgive one another, and, and, and reach out to the lost, and serve, and that God one day 
is going to make all things new. History is not just, you know, going nowhere. Absolutely not. God in his sovereignty has a will from before time began to when time as we know it ends and it's all eternity. Does that make sense? God's will, his redemptive purposes. When we are filled with the knowledge of God's will, you all, then when you have those questions like, well, should I marry this person? You know, a big, big deal like that. Or as minute as, do we sell the house and buy a new one? Do we, what do we, where do I send my seat to school? You know, those, those God's will things. Let me tell you something. When you understand the, when you are filled with the knowledge of God's will, his redemptive purposes and all things, then you begin to look at those decisions in light of God's sovereign rule, covenant faithfulness to us, his steadfast love. And therefore, when you're asking, should we sell the house or not? It's not even a, should we sell the house or not? It's this question, and I mean it when I say this. Every question can be run through this grid. Is this gonna enable me to help more people know Christ and grow in Christ? That's pretty simple. Wait, what does that have to do with selling or buying my house? Everything, if you understand that you are a part of a redemptive story that God is working, does that make sense? If you're a part of that story, then every decision you make relates to his glory and his purposes. And so every decision you make, you ask the question of yourself, well, will this, will this uh, you know, I can say it this way, will this, make, will this better enable me to make Christ known and to glorify him? What, should we buy the car or not? Yeah, will this, yeah, every decision filled with the knowledge of God's will. One commentator expressed it this way, the knowledge of God's will is more than simply an insight into how God wants his people to behave. It is an understanding of God's whole saving purpose in Christ. And hence, as knowledge is mentioned in verse 10, a knowledge of God himself. Be filled with the knowledge of God. Secondly, look, keep looking there in that verse. I'll write it and then I'll read it in a moment. But he says that, that you may live, uh, live worthy, I'm going to phrase it like this, of of the Lord. Okay, be filled with the knowledge of God's will and Lord, I pray that I pray that our son would be would live a life worthy of the Lord. So being filled with the knowledge of God leads the purpose of that is and you'll notice there in your passage be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as, the fruit of that, the result of that is gonna be so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. Walk is a Old Testament word and thought that's just freighted with significance. You know, in our discipleship pathway here at Fellowship, we say there's two corporate commitments, your church, be here to worship on a regular basis. Your group, you gotta be in a smaller setting where you're known and being known. And then we say, and then there's your walk. And then there's your world. Well, walk in the Old Testament is the word used to describe your way of living. And, and for a Hebrew to hear walk, it's like, oh, oh, that's the walk of the Proverbs and the Psalms. Psalm 83. 
verse 13. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. Well, it's a worthy walk. This is pretty interesting. It's a worthy walk. Worthy is the word axios, and it's, um, it's the, it's the, it means uh, to be of... Uh, it means to be of equal value. It, it has, it's a weight word. What do you mean a weight word? What's well, this? They had scales in that day, and scales go like this, right? And so it's like you'd put something on this side of the scale, and if you wanted to get something, the scale to go back equal, you had to put something of equal weight on this side, and it would go. Now look at the passage. Live a life worthy of the Lord, okay? Put Jesus on this side. Thunk. Now put your life on this side. Who can do that? Think about it. Who, who can live a life as weighty as the Lord's? Every one of you who've put your faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Why else would he pray it if it couldn't be true? But you see, when you, put your life, when you put your faith in Christ, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit enables you to live a weighty life. You, there's no weighty life apart from the Spirit of God. And Jesus himself, what did Jesus say? He said when he leaves and we receive the Holy Spirit, he says, you're gonna do greater works than I did. And what does he mean by that? Well, well I'll tell you what he doesn't mean. You're not going to die for someone's sins. You're not going to make atonement. No, but in Christ, the fruit of your life, we'll come to that in a moment, will mean others coming to know Christ, others growing in the relationship with Christ, influence for the kingdom to glorify God. That is as weighty as Jesus's. He's, it's as weighty as his. That's what the prayer is, that our lives would be weighty. I want you to think about this prayer in different ways. You know, is this what you're praying for your spouse? Is this what you pray for your friends? Because that's God's desire. Think about this. Is this what you pray for your kids? I mean, I know we're to pray for our kids, and I, I do pray for my kids and, you know, tests and schoolwork, et cetera. But how about this? Oh, God, would Sally be filled with the knowledge of your will? And would she live a weighty life? He goes on, I'm gonna grab this third one. He says, bearing fruit in every good work. So here's the next thing we would pray for is that they would bear fruit. He says, in every good work. Last week when Rob introduced the book, he had us draw that little tree. Remember that? I think I've got it in the notes there, in my notes. He drew the little tree because he said, you know, the gospel is a little seed and the seed grows up and it's a tree and the tree bears this fruit all rooted in the gospel, the person of Christ. And, and it's a great reminder that when we pray, the prayer that, that Paul would instruct us to pray is to, to, to move toward them that they would bear fruit in every good work, well, that their life would bear fruit. What is that fruit? Well, the fruit of the Spirit, that it would be uh, the, the fruit of life, quite frankly, life in Christ, that others, you know, a tree bears fruit. The tree doesn't, you know, the tree doesn't bear fruit and eat it. What is the tree? The tree bears fruit and drops it. 
for others. And it's a reminder, you all, that our salvation is not for ourselves only. I don't want to say it's not for, it is for us, but not for ourselves only. But that we might bear fruit by helping others come to know Christ. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, when, when we begin, I, this is so significant, when we understand redemptive history and God's will for the whole, that I'm no accident, I'm, everything in my life has happened for a reason, I, I work where I work because of a reason, I'm in the family I am because of a reason, the things of life around me, because, and it's this it's this grand story of God. When we understand that, then when we read that verse that says God has prepared us for good works that we should walk in beforehand, then we kind of go, oh my, God has, there are things God has ordained that I would be a part of and do before time began, and we get to walk in them. But I don't walk in them if I'm not dependent upon the Spirit who opens my eyes to the grand scheme of God's story that the weight of my life is not my life and accomplishments, but the significance of Christ and his work in my life, that's the weight of my life, and therefore I'm bearing that fruit in those works. Does this make sense? So this is how we pray for one another, how we pray for our family. Notice when he says, fully please, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work, and then note, he says, and increasing in the knowledge of God. We'll add that to our prayer. Increasing in knowledge of God. <laughs> this word knowledge, we need to understand that Paul is, he's coming against a Greek understanding of knowledge. And a Greek understanding of knowledge is this. You know something and you can regurgitate it. Uh, you know the answer. You can write the answer down. It's, it's, an, it's purely mental, intellectual knowledge and understanding. The Hebrew concept of knowing and knowledge, epignosis. It is a knowing that is reflected in my doing such that you cannot separate the two. So if you say biblically, I know, you know, biblically I know this, but your life is not reflecting that, well, you don't biblically know it. Does this make sense? So this is a knowing, it's the, it's the faith and obedience. It's the, you know, biblical faith is, yes, it's trust and faith, but remember what we said about the two sides of the coin? You can't separate the trust from the do in biblical faith. This is true in the knowing that he's describing here. Consider how this works. God, I'm praying, I'm praying that Susan would be filled, this is another daughter, that Susan would be filled with the knowledge of your will, God Almighty, that she would live a weighty life today as she walks around that campus at UT, and that, Lord, wherever she goes, she would 
she would bear fruit that depending on the spirit, you would produce fruit in her life, in, in people around her, and that she would increase in the knowledge of you. Now, now notice this. You bear fruit in your life, trust me, your, your understanding, obedience, and experience of God will increase. It'll increase as you're bearing fruit. You can't separate these things. Increasing in the knowledge of God. You know, you'll never get to the point in life where you can say, I, I know all of God there is to know, right? Which is why this is current. Incre always increasing in our experience and understanding of who God is and our living out of that knowledge. It's no accident that fruitfulness is followed by an increasing, life-changing experience of God. And it's no accident that he prays this next phrase. And if you pick this up and turn your book, little booklet page, you're in verse 11 now. Here's the next part of the prayer. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. So what's the next thing that we pray? I would be praying that they would be strengthened. With all God's power. I've said this to you all so many times and I'll probably say it till I'm gone. What I'm describing up here is impossible. You can't do it. I've said to you, you can't live the Christian life. Oh, but you can in the power of the Spirit, you see. In the strength of the Spirit that they would, that they would be strengthened with all God's power. This, this requires supernatural power to change a heart, to transform a will that's been against him. This is the power of God and he prays it for them. This is the Holy Spirit indwelling them, expressing the power of God in and through them, the very power that raised Christ from the dead. He says, according to, you know, he doesn't say, I pray you'd, I pray you'd be strengthened with all power by God's strength. No, he says, according, he says, according to his glorious might. What, what's the distinction here? I'd say it this way. If, um, if Jeff Bezos, you know, I think he may be the richest man in the world right now, if he were to give you, um, if give you a financial gift, you know, you know, from his extreme wealth, and he gave, he just said, I'm gonna give you a gift, you know, by my wealth, from my wealth. He may give you a dollar, he may give you a million. But if he said, I'm gonna give, I'm gonna give you a financial gift according to, it's like, whoa, whoa, I'm gonna give you a financial gift in relation to my wealth. You know, if it's not a couple billion, then it's not in accordance with relation. This is, he's, God strengthened them in accordance with your power. And God's power is unlimited. Unlimited. And this is mind-blowing that Paul prays this. That we as Christians would taste and experience the omnipotent power of God in our life. Now here's what's fascinating to me. And I'm not, I'm not throwing anybody under the bus on this, but I want us to be biblically balanced and, and, and aware. Notice when Paul speaks of God's power. He didn't say you'd be filled with all power to raise people from the dead. 
Now, I'm not saying that God can't do whatever he wants or to heal people of blindness. You know what I'm, I'm not, it's like it's not this miraculous thing we would go, well, if I had God's power, I could you know, touch a mountain or I could do something amazing, heal people. What does he say? He says, I want you to have his power so that you can endure and be patient. Hmm? <laughs> like, let's go with the big stuff, right? There's nothing bigger. Endurance is that word hupomeno. It's that word remain under, and it's James all over again. When you remain under, we remain under the pressure and the suffering and the challenges of life because they shape our heart. But you gotta have God's power to remain under. So endurance, hupomeno, remain under, and then it says in patience, it's, it's a different Greek word, and it, it's the idea of long-suffering, which is the way it's translated in places, which is the idea of like you get provoked. It's a long time between that provocation and your explosion, you know, when you burst upon someone. It's like you're long-suffering, such as so long-suffering that in the power of the Spirit, you would never explode. Does that make sense? Because you're long-suffering. Now think about this. What he's saying is, I pray that it be strengthened with God's, according to God's power, so that they can remain under difficult circumstances and remain with difficult people. <laughs> That's the two biggies, isn't it? It is in my life. And so I'm praying. You know, I'm praying for my son, Darden. Pray for your kids. God, I pray that Darden, I, pr I pray to that. You know, this is a prayer, and you can, you can riff off of it, but here's the core of the prayer. I pray that Darden would be filled with the knowledge of your will, God, that he might live a weighty life. He's starting his career, and he wants to get ahead. He wants to, but that's awesome, but may he live a weighty life, a Christ life, worthy of Christ, the weight of Christ, the influence of Christ. And may he bear fruit down there at HCA, the fruit of righteousness in his own life that others would feed from, that he would give life to others through his own life, that he would, he would himself be increasing in knowledge of you. He's got to learn his job, but I pray the most important thing in his life would be bearing fruit in such a way that he's constantly growing in all that you are, oh God, and growing in such a way that he not only knows you, but he lives you. Ooh, Lord, he can't do it apart from your strength. Would you strengthen him by the power of your spirit that he might endure and be patient? One last thing, notice verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. Let me say this. Next week, Rob is going to unpack the next two verses about light and darkness. Now, today, I just want you to note that this last part of the prayer here is giving thanks. Now, when you look at your ESV, you'll notice that it takes this word thanks and it connects it with patience, right? With, in verse uh, 11, for all endurance and patience with joy. That's wonderful, because you know what? He's talking about a patience here that is not about a grit, yeah, I'm gonna be patient. No, it's about patience with joy. 
But if you look at the NASB, if you look at the NIV, you'll notice that it says joyously giving thanks. With joy giving thanks. So they connect the joy with the thanks. So which one is it, I wonder? And I mean this, I don't know. <laughs> and grammatically, it's very difficult to go either way. Clearly, if you got biblical scholars, you know, 50 biblical scholars that work on these translations, and one group of 50 puts it with patience and one puts it with joy, I think what we can say is probably can go with both because it's patience with joy. I'm going to put it with the New American Standard, the NIV here, where I, 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 I want to suggest I think the context would, would lean this way, but this is not dogmatic. So what I'm talking about here is joyfully giving thanks. Now, why would we joyfully give thanks? Well, note he says in the text itself, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. Let me tell you very simply what he's saying here is if you've placed your faith in Jesus, you, ha- you are now qualified for the inheritance that the Son gets. It's a beautiful thought and picture. You don't, you can't buy an inheritance. You can't earn an inheritance. You only receive an inheritance. And by God's grace, he sent his only son, Jesus, to live and die on our behalf so that in Christ, we're qualified now. I'm a son. You're a daughter. It's a gift received. We've been delivered from the kingdom of darkness. That's next week. And Paul's understanding is when we reflect on all we are given in Christ, we are, we are some joyfully thankful people. How could we not be joyfully thankful for all that Christ has done for us? This is not just what awaits us in heaven. Yes, there's an inheritance in heaven, men and women, But this is joyfully giving thanks now, right now in our life in Christ on the planet we can. For we know that our future is secure. But you know what? Because we are filled with the knowledge of God, we know life has meaning. And there's a reason we're here and we can live with joy in the midst of these trials and difficulties of life. It's what God invites us to. So I was... Riding my bike Friday, I got two miles away from my house and something wasn't right. And I noticed I had a flat tire, you know, and it's like, oh my gosh. It was so hot Friday too. And so I, um, I got off and thought, well, I'm going to walk home. So I, so I got off my bike and started walking home. You know, my, I could roll it. And, the, and I'm thinking, you know, it's Friday. I'm steady. I've been steady. Lisa and I were getting ready to leave town. Um, and so... I, I think the Spirit does this. The Spirit just reminds me, says, well, you can, why don't you try that prayer out you're studying, you know? <laughs> so, so, uh, so I said, uh, and I did. I, I, and I, you know, I would, I'm walking. I go, yeah, that's what I'll do. I got two miles to walk. And I thought of my group. See, my group asked for these prayers. And I had told them, I said, this is so, this is just like what I'm getting ready to teach. And I'm, as I thought about it, I said, every prayer they asked is answered in this prayer. And so I did. I'm walking. I'm just, you know, I'm, and again, I'm trying to help us go, how do you pray this prayer? I want you to know you can riff off this prayer. <laughs> you can pray, to, but this is the core of the prayer. And so I was praying. I'm praying. I go, okay, Father, I, I want to pray for Chet and Mary. I want to pray for 
Ryan and Allison, for David and Michelle, for Michael and Emily, and for me and for Lisa. And I'm, I'm praying that we would be filled with the knowledge of your will. You would do that for us, oh God, that all, all of us would get a clearer picture of redemptive history and our part in it and know your will from beginning to end in that way. And Lord, that we would live lives that are worthy of Jesus. Would you grant that we would live weighty lives, weighty lives, the weight of Christ, the significance of Christ, that we would bear fruit, Lord. Would, would you help us? Would you enable us to be fruitful, the fruit of the Spirit born through us, the fruit of the sharing of the gospel, the fruit of care for widows, orphans, and poor, the, the fruit of your life, Lord. I pray that it would, it would be born through us and then all of us would increase in the knowledge of you and that means in the bearing of fruit, we would grow to know you better. We would actually experience you more fully as we take steps of faith. And Lord, I know none of us, this is not possible apart from your strength. So would you strengthen all of us according to your might that we might endure when it's difficult in life and we might be patient when people are difficult in life. And may we all, May our whole group, Lord, individually and corporately, may we give thanks, a thankful people, because our future is secure in Christ and our life right now has meaning. And would that thankfulness be evident in our lives? Amen. And I still had a mile and a half to walk, you know, so I'm going, well, what else can I pray for? But that's how I prayed it. And I want to suggest to you, this is, I'm not trying to teach you all the prayer of Jabez here or anything like that. I'm trying to teach us how Paul prayed and that we can pray this way. And I, I, I'm telling you, God answers this prayer and changes us. That's why we pray this prayer. Changes us more into Christ-likeness. I want to ask the ushers if they would um, begin to pass out the Lord's table because thankfulness takes us to the Lord's table. This amazing series we did earlier on the table and our deeper understanding of the Lord's table. May we, ne well, I'll tell you, I'm not may we, we will never exhaust the significance of coming to this table wherein we take the bread, symbolic of the body of Christ. We take the cup, symbolic of the blood of Christ, his life poured out for us and we receive them. See, it's not like, I'm trying to use the right terminology here, it's not like we take it really, it's we receive it. We receive what Jesus has done. It's, it's by faith we receive it and we acknowledge that Jesus, you are who you are. You are the center of all things, you're our savior. If you've placed your faith in the life, death and resurrection of Christ, please take the bread and the cup and hold it. And if you haven't, I mean this, believe right now. Put your trust in Christ. If it's even crossing your mind, that's the spirit of God at work in your life, tell God that you believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He was buried and rose again. Express it to him in your thoughts, in your prayer, that you trust your trust in Christ. And you know what? Take the bread and cup and celebrate with us. I want you to hold it because we'll take it together in a moment. You know, every passage of scripture, quite frankly, 
leads us to the table. How could it not if Jesus is the center of all things? If the message of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation of Jesus, how could it not? And certainly with this prayer, I want you to think about this. It ends with joyously giving thanks because he has qualified you to share in the inheritance of life. That's the gospel. Joyously giving thanks because of the gospel. And so our remembrance in taking the bread and cup is we are joyously giving thanks. In fact, some of you come from traditions in which the Lord's table was called uh, the Eucharist. It's a Greek word that means thanksgiving. It's the Greek word used when it says Jesus and giving thanks, Eucharisto. He took the bread and took the cup, see? So it's, that's why it's called the, the, the Eucharist. And so we're learning, and I'm learning with you, you all, through our table series and our practice and discipline and liturgy, that when we take this bread and cup, it is with joy we take the bread and cup. It is with joyful thanksgiving that we take the bread and cup. Week by week, week by week, we remind ourselves, oh, we may not feel that, we may be in the dumps, but I'm telling you, come to the table and we're reminded it's always with joyful thanksgiving, gratitude that we receive and are reminded, oh, Jesus, apart from you, nothing lost. With that in mind, I want to invite you to stand. And it's an appropriate thing as Luke has led us together. We do these things. We're going to take the bread and cup, but here's what you're going to do. Before you take the bread and cup, you're going to turn to some people near you, a few people, and, and you're going to have to speak to do this, you know. And uh, you're just going to, I want you to turn to someone nearby, and with the bread and cup, you just turn to them and say, with joy, my sins have been forgiven. With joy, my sins have been forgiven. You see, and, and when we say that, it's like, yes, mine too. With joy, my sins have been forgiven. And, it's, and we're holding what makes it possible, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So say that to a few people, then take the bread and take the cup yourself.